Yeah. Would you please put your hands together because I have a superhero coming to the stage who's going to speak to you in power and strength and authority. Could you put your hands, put your hands together and nice and noisily welcome Michael Strachan to the stage. Thank you very much, Ewan. Good morning, church. We all well? Good. Just during the worship, I just felt like it was getting really hot, but it's probably just because I'm now standing on the stage. So, but, um, right, I'm just not perfect. PowerPoint's up. I tried to make the character look as close to me as I possibly could. Just gave him black hair. Where's the tie? Oh, exactly, yeah. Come on, Alan. When was the last time you wore a tie preaching? <laughs> So today my topic is, his power works best in our weakness. And God's really been stirring this in my heart. He's really been encouraging me because there's been times that I've felt quite weak. Times that I've felt that I really just, if you want, wanted to give up. But yet I've found the power and the strength through Jesus. So I'm going to get stuck right in. The kind of the message I want to use today is from Book of Judges. Um, if I could sum up, just to kind of help people understand what the Book of Judges is about, um, we find that Joshua has just passed away, and Israel go through this, this cycle, this pattern through the Book of Judges, where they're still seeking the promised land. The people of Israel then fall short to idolatry, and they go through this kind of this barren phrase, this, this kind of waiting phase. Israel then cry out for help. God then sends them a judge to help save them. And then they live through this phase of prosperity under God. But we find that in the book of Judges, this happens seven times. And I want to pick up in the book of Judges from chapter 3, verse 12 to 29. So it's on the screen, but I'll read it out as well. So once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Pams. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So right away we can start to see the cycle. The cycle again that they've fallen short and now they've fallen under idolatry to this new king. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gerah, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. Let's make sure, that's fine. Just making sure you can still see what's on there. Um, so Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. Gotta love that. How often do you read in the Bible somebody's very fat? So he's very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But then Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal. He turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them out of the room. Sorry, next one. There we go. 
he had walked over to Eglong, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and he had, he had said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglong rose from his seat, he had reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger that was strapped to his right thigh, and he plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bills emptied. This is brilliant. You've got to love the Bible. Then Ehud closed and locked the door of the room and escaped down the latrine. This just gets better and better. After Ehud had gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. So, so they, so, sorry, they thought he might be using the latrine in the room. So they waited, but when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And they opened the doors and they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud had escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sirah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read passages in the Bible, I like to visualize them. Words don't really do much for me, so I like to try and close my eyes and visualize what they look like. And this has got to be one of the greatest passages just to visualize. You know, we all love watching movies where you've got drama, you've got thrillers, you've got romance. Not me, but I know Hannah likes the romance and drama ones. And you've got victory and you've got superheroes. But here we're reading about this left-handed man who's turned up. He's found a fat king. He's killed him. His bills have emptied. His guards think he's sitting on the latrine, but yet there's great victory. Now, come on, that's a great story in the Bible, isn't it? You've got to love what the Bible does. But for me, I just felt this kind of leads on to my first point, which if, if the kind of subheading of the first point is, um, what is my greatest weakness? Because what I find is if you see something in the Bible that you think's a bit irrelevant, usually it indicates it's actually got great significance, because why would it be there in the first place? And for me, when I was reading through that, the first thing that stood out was in verse 15, where it says, his name was Ehud, son of Gerah, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, why mention that he's left-handed? Does anyone really care he's left-handed? It doesn't say he's tall. It doesn't say he's bald. It doesn't say he's got black hair. It just simply says he is left-handed. And this got me thinking because in order to understand this, we need to think and take ourselves back to when the book of Judges was written. And you see, when this was written, being left-handed was seen as a weakness. It was actually classed, some commentaries say it was actually a disability. Various cultures around the world look at left-handed as really being a vulnerability and a weakness. For instance, in the French word for gauche means awkward, clumsy, but also translates as being left-handed. The word sinister actually comes from the Latin word left-handed. So to do evil, this weakness, this awkward clumsiness is about being left-handed. The other thing that I think is interesting here is he's from the tribe of Benjamin. 
And when you start looking into it, you start to realize that the translation for the word Benjamin is actually son of the right-handed. So here we have Ehud, who's a left-handed soldier, but yet he's from the tribe of the right-hand Benjamites. And not only that, we know from reading the Bible, we know throughout Scripture, that the right side is also classed as strength. So really what it's saying here is he's from the son of my strength. And we know that because the right side of the Bible throughout, we see that it means the hand of authority. In Luke 22, where it says, from now on, the son of man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. We see that the right side is also a hand of blessing. When Jacob reached out to his children in Genesis, it says, for he stretched out his right hand. It's a hand of strength in Exodus 15, verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, it shatters the enemy. So immediately we can see that Ehud's got this weakness. Some class it as a disability with his left hand. But we can see there's some sort of connection here to the power of God because we can see he's from the tribe of Benjamin. There's this right hand power. And it got me thinking about my own life and that classic question that we've all faced. You know when you go for an interview and you, you've written on your CV how good you are and you've got all these qualifications, but you always get hit by the same question. So Michael, what is your biggest weakness? Has anyone ever had that question asked them, whether it's a job interview, university, an application form, you get asked, what is your biggest weakness? And for me, I've always answered them with the kind of the twist of, well, I like to take control of projects, but I've learned to delegate. You always have a twist on it. You've got a weakness, but you try and turn it into a strength. And then really what I found was when I started praying about it and thinking about it, I've never really told anyone what my biggest weakness is. Some people know it, but not most people don't, especially when I go for job interviews or when I'm ever trying to apply for something. And my biggest weakness is the fact that I'm actually dyslexic. Now, some people don't know that, some people do, but sometimes I feel like in the society, in the world we live in just now, dyslexic is actually a form of a disability. And it actually says, I looked up the definition of it, and dyslexia can differ in each individual. It can affect reading, decoding, recall, writing, spelling, sometimes speech, and can exist along other related disorders. Dyslexia is sometimes referred to as the language-based disability. So for me, right away, I had this connection with Ehud. In the society we live in, Ehud was looked at as being disabled and the outcast. For me, sometimes I feel like I'm not overly confident because I'm dyslexic. And today I want you to think about maybe a situation that you've been in, a weakness that you may have, that you sometimes feel that same, the pressure points. I looked up some interesting stats about dyslexia that's quite scary and things I didn't even know about, but Believe it or not, 10% of children across all social groups in the UK have dyslexia. 75%, let me just say that again, 75% of convicted criminals are said to have some form of dyslexia. 
So I was wondering what this was on about, so I looked up what's called action dyslexia, and there's this quote, it says, dyslexia is the most common cause of childhood loss of self-confidence. It can lead to misery, depression, and even suicide. Sometimes the frustration leads to vandalism, violence, and criminal behavior. Dyslexia accounts for a majority of school children with special education needs. It is by far the most common cause of disability among those who fail to graduate from university. That's the society and world we live in. That's what it's classing me as, and maybe other people in the room, I don't know. And for me, I remember when I was five years old in primary school, I got taken to the little special class where I was doing code cracker because I couldn't read and write as well as the rest of them. So right away from a young age, my passion for reading was demolished. I, I do not like reading books, can I be honest with you? And this is why. At 15, I remember in third year at school, as the learning started to increase, I changed my style of writing from lowercase to block capitals. I still do to this day, I write in block capitals. And it's funny when you look at it, but the reason I did that was it helped me process words and it helps me learn better. But I remember my teacher humiliated me in class because I did it. I failed English in fifth year and had to reset it in sixth year because I needed it to get to university. But somehow, through all this, my biggest weakness that I had of dyslexia was it went missed. Nobody actually officially said, you have dyslexia, Michael, until second year of university. So I'm, talk I'm talking 19, 20 years old. You've been through a full education system. And finally, a professor at university said to me, you need to go and take an exam. And I found out that day that I actually was classed as dyslexic. And I remember we used to run the toasty bar at the Christian Union. And um, I remember an example of, we used to make a poster up, so it would be welcome to the Stirling University Christian Union. And one time I was in charge of doing the poster, so to me it was fine. And then you find out later on that actually it reads, welcome to the Stirling University Christian Union. And I'm thinking, oh, what have you done? And not only that, on the flip side, we used to sell tuna toasties, cheese and ham toasties, cheese and union toasties. And somebody's like, oh, how many unions do you get with your cheese and union toastie? And the best one was my brother. I remember when I started going out with Hannah, I went back, told my brother I had this amazing Australian girl, and he said, oh, what's her name? I was like, Hannah. And he started laughing, and I thought, why are you laughing at me for that? I thought, what's so funny about Hannah? And he said, trust you to find a girl that you can spell her name wrong and it still spells correctly backwards. And I was like, oh, good one. And to be honest, my life has kind of been like the book of Judges where I've went through a cycle. You know, you get hit down with confidence and you feel, oh, I'm dyslexic, I can't do anything. Then you kind of forget about it and you keep on pressing through. Then you get hit down again in secondary school when you fail or you're embarrassed because you're writing differently than other people. But then you press on and you keep on going. Then university again. And when I graduated from university, I thought, I've conquered this weakness. 
And then 371 days ago, I stood on this platform and I preached the Easter Sunday message. Some of you may remember I used the, the, the kind of clear glass of water, I put sin into it, and then I made it as white as snow through the blood of Jesus. And I woke up on the Monday morning and I'd lost my voice. So not only had I been robbed of my reading skills, my writing skills, all of a sudden this loss of voice meant communication was very, very frustrating for me. Trust me, to be standing on this platform today even telling you and talking to you about it, it was a huge frustration. It was the biggest weakness somebody could possibly have. But there's encouragement. There's encouragement through this random story you read in the Bible in the book of Judges. And the second point I want to mention is called the enemy didn't see it coming. Because you see, what I love about this as it says in verse 19, so the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. So here we, here we have Ehud, this left-handed warrior. Now you need to remember a couple of things here. You're talking about king, the king of Israel, Eglon. So he's going to have the best, king, uh, the best guards possibly around protecting him. But yet, through Ehud's weakness, he got past the guards. And I want to just do a quick example. I'm going to pick on Stephen, if I can borrow Stephen. And I've got a trusted... My passion in life is football. So I've got a football here. I'm just going to borrow Stephen as a quick example. I'll do it down here so we don't fall off the stage. But my role in football is I'm a defender. So if you like, I represent the guard. I'm the king's guard and Stephen's Ehud, and I'm a right-footed player, so immediately when I'm facing an opposition, I assume the same thing about them. So if Stephen started to come with, come with me with his right foot, what I do is I immediately open my body up to protect that side, because I think he's a right-footed player. And that's what King Eglon's guards had done. You see, they were so used to seeing right-handed warriors come at them that they would search down the left side of the soldiers because that's where the dagger would be kept. Remember we read that Ehud had hit it on the, the right side because he's left-handed? The guards were so used to going down the one side, they were defending the king with this one attitude. And I believe that Ehud managed to get past the king guards because of that. Because of his weakness, he's managed to get past. The one thing I didn't say there about Stephen was what I know about Stephen is he actually can play football with his left foot. So if I stood there like I did, Stephen would have got past me, which very rarely happens, isn't that right, Stephen? Yeah, but he would have got past me. But in verse 16, as I said, it says he strapped it to his right thigh. And I just love the, the irony behind that because I think there's major significance in that, even just that one verse. Not only is that the significance of how he got past the guards, but I believe it's talking about Ehud's right side. It's almost saying, through your weakness of your left, you can strap it to your right and all of a sudden you're receiving that power of God. I believe there's significance that it mentions that it was strapped to his right thigh. And thanks to this weakness of Ehud and where the sword was hidden, he got past these guards. And sometimes... 
we, we find ourselves in situations where the enemy doesn't see it coming. Even King Eglon himself, he was so confident that Ehud was just a nobody through his disability that he sent his guards away. He was so relaxed. He was so comfortable. On you go. It says, be quiet. Other translations say, please leave. Leave now. He sent the guards away. And for me, I believe no matter what your weakness is in the room, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, I believe that gives us an opportunity through our weaknesses to get close to people and witness to them. There's people in this room that have certain circumstances that nobody else can relate to, but there's a whole world out there that's lost and only you have access to them. You see, the enemy didn't see it coming that I would eventually find the passion to read one book, and that's the book of the Bible. Thankfully, I don't need that. The enemy didn't see it coming when I graduated with an honors degree, ironically, in marketing and communications. The enemy didn't see it that one day I would start my own business and start to communicate with the sphere of influence in the business world. The enemy didn't see it that when I lost my voice, I would still be able to pray to God, that I would still be able to speak prophetically over people around me, that I would still be able to pray for healing. The enemy didn't see it that through my weakness, I would still be able to lead an alpha course. He didn't see it that I would be able to stand on this stage and preach the good news of Jesus to you as a church, because the enemy doesn't see it coming. Can I say amen? Let's just hear an amen for that one. So the third point I want to make, his power works best in our weakness. I would love to go back to verse 15 where it says, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. I would love to go back there and rewrite that and put, and the Lord raised up a rescuer to save the lost. His name was Michael, a dyslexic man from the tribe of Strachan. How good does that sound? Wouldn't that sound amazing? Yeah, that's it, come on. You know, the irony behind it as well is that dyslexia is actually formed and takes place in the left side of the brain. And I found that fascinating even just reading that in context of what I've been talking about this morning. But the thing to point out as well is that Ehud didn't just get past the guards because he was left-handed. I love it how it then goes on to say Ehud reached with his left hand pulled out the dagger, strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. I love it because it doesn't just say that his weakness got him past the guards. It's physically saying that through his weakness, he actually used it. It doesn't just say he grabbed the dagger and plunged it. It's physically saying he used his left hand again. We shouldn't be embarrassed about our weaknesses. It can get us in certain circumstances and get us to speak to those around us. We shouldn't then be embarrassed to actually use that weakness again to actually get up close and personal with the enemy. 
I want to look at a second passage as well that helps illustrate this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. It says this, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I'd be telling the truth. But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged to the Lord to take it away. Each time he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's Paul writing to in Corinthians. And I love it because I can take some examples there of, you know, we, we sometimes ask the question of why? Why do we have weaknesses? Sometimes it's um, circumstantial. It's just the way that you're, you're born. It's what you've, your genetics make up. Sometimes it is human error. Sometimes we cause our own weaknesses. But I love it here because it's Paul's writing about a weakness that's come because he was being proud. He was self-boasting, and it was to prevent him from doing that. But I love it in that, in that verse where it says, Christ's power works best in our weakness. Sometimes it's so hard to imagine that how can, how can Christ's power work when we're feeling weak? But yet it's telling us here, my power works best in your weakness. And it finishes for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I believe whatever or wherever your weakness comes from, God can use it. I believe just as the enemy thought he had won through making Jesus into a public spectacle and torment and torture, the end result shows that Jesus triumphed on the cross. Through that weakness, he got his strength and triumphed on the cross. You see, it says in 2 Corinthians as well, chapter 13, verse 4. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Through that, we have the power of God. You see, we can still rejoice in our weaknesses knowing that we have God's power. God is the ultimate craftsman and he makes us in his perfect image. Aaron preached about the image of God. Imago Dei. Is that right, Aaron? Oh, perfect, look at that. Even a dyslexic man can get that right. Imago Dei, the perfect image of God. And I believe through our circumstances, we can get closer to those around us and witness to them. 
You see, it says that Ehud took the, the tribute to King Eglong, but he then left and took everyone else that was with him back a little bit before he returned to the king. And I want to encourage you this morning that sometimes when you get in situations and you think you've got that confidence to step out with your, with your weakness, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes, like Ehud, you have, to, you have to go back a bit and then try again. And I believe that's quite significant as well because sometimes it doesn't happen first time. But just keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Because the last point I want to make is this. We can be victorious in our weaknesses. If we align ourselves with God's plan for our life, we don't have to try and change who we are, but rather rejoice in who we are. Don't focus on the weakness that comes, but rather the strength that we can find through it. His power works best in our weakness. We should always use the weaknesses that we find we face to point others to Christ's strength. You see, Ehud didn't just use a sword. He didn't just use a random piece of equipment to kill Eglong. It physically says he used a double-edged dagger. And I love it because in Hebrews 4.12 we find that for the, word of the God is a, for the word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. There's great significance here. The two-edged sword that we face when we find ourselves in circumstances with our weaknesses, we don't have to worry about what are we going to use to get to the enemy? What are we going to use to kill them off? We already can stand in victory because we have, we have our double-edged sword. We have the Word of God, and we can use that to our advantage. We can get strength through that. I'm just going to ask the band to come back up now. Um, can we sing that, Be Lifted Up? Is it praises? Is that what it's called, George? I think it's called praises. don't know how. I have plenty of time. I just want to look at one more thing. I've already mentioned that I would like to go back and say that the Lord has sent a saviour called Michael, a dyslexic man from the tribe of Strachan. But I've got an even better one. Could you imagine I could go back and read this? And the Lord raised up a rescuer to save the lost. His name was Michael Strachan, a dyslexic man from the tribe of Christ. You see, through Christ, we are victorious in our weaknesses. Through the tribe of Strachan, I've got nothing. Through the tribe of Christ, I've got victory. It says in the Bible quite clearly, we are all sons and daughters of Christ. Church, will you stand with me this morning, just as we sing this song? And I really just want you to just think about your life and the circumstances that you find yourself in. I want you just to think about that weakness that maybe you face, that you battle with, that you've, you've felt like the book of Judges, that you go through this cycle of 
good days and long periods of bad spells and good spells. And I just want you to give that up and lift it up to Jesus today. Because we can stand in victory, no matter how weak we are, that we have that strength. And I want you to write your own verse like that. I want you to replace your name. So it says, and the Lord has raised up a rescuer to save the lost. His name is your name. Insert your weakness there. But always remember you're from the tribe of Christ. Always remember that your weakness will get you into certain circumstances. But remember through that we can gain his power and we can be victorious. I just want George to play that, be lifted up. Yeah. He's going to sing a different song. Don't argue with the worship leader. So we're going to sing Break Every Chain. But church, just insert your name there. Come on, give it up to God this morning.